Hey everybody, it is Friday, October 20th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, it's been a week. <laughs> it has been a week. <laughs> On Wednesday, you posted that meme with um, Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin from 30 Rock where they're like, it's been a week. And the other one says, it's only Wednesday. Lemon, it's Wednesday. That's how I felt every day this week. <laughs> it's an exhausting news cycle right now. I mean, obviously, with tragedy in the world, chaos on Capitol Hill, though the chaos on Capitol Hill pales in comparison to what we're seeing um, globally right now. So we're trying to be patient, we're trying to take it day by day. It was really nice to be back with uh, the team at our WeWork offices this week. That's where Motors headquarters is at uh, WeWork in Brooklyn. Been loving the space here. Uh, obviously, took paternity for a few weeks and then came back. And so some of you actually, we posted a photo or a video from here this week on the Instagram account. They're like, oh, that looks like a WeWork. I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> and they are partners of ours. So I just wanted to let everyone know they have a special deal for Mo News listeners, 20% off your first six months of WeWork All Access. Uh, there's a code MoWorks20, M-O-Works, the number 20. Details are in the show notes. You can head to we.co slash MoWorks20 to get that deal if you're still working from home or you're looking for space for a, a small team or a large team. There's a great vibe going on at WeWork. There's good coffee. There's good camaraderie. <laughs> I'm into it. Jill, you're welcome <laughs> back anytime from the uh, home office in Long Island. If we didn't record at night, then I would definitely come in a little bit more often. All right. Well, that's one of the goals for this fall is to get Jill in. But the rest of the team is here, Jill. We're all anticipating your return here to WeWork. But again, special deal. Check it out in the show notes. I love our listeners who write to you like, stop pressuring Jill to come to the WeWork office. I'm an HR official and I don't appreciate how you're pressuring Jill to come to, to, come to the office. It's like, you don't understand us. Like, we can have this conversation. It's a very friendly But I really appreciate it. They're looking out for me, Moshe. Hey, listen, there's a, at some point we'll have to do a survey on the Instagram if we're ready for it. Team Jill, Team Mosh. <laughs> I'm not ready for it because I think they're probably mostly Team Mosh. Not that we're on, div- my, I thought we're yeah. on the same team, Mosh. Sorry, all, all this talk of divisiveness in the world, Jill, it's starting to infect our relationship. Can't we all just get along? All right, let's get to some news here. President Biden delivers a rare primetime address pushing for more aid to Israel and Ukraine. And it comes as a U.S. Navy warship in the Middle East shot down three missiles as well as several drones that were launched by Iran-backed Houthi forces in Yemen, potentially headed for Israel. We'll also have the latest from the region where humanitarian aid is expected to cross into Gaza today. They think this time, Jill. On to politics, there is still no House Speaker as the path forward for Jim Jordan looks increasingly less certain. In Georgia, Sidney Powell pleads guilty over efforts to overturn Trump's 2020 election loss in the state. On to the economy, home sales slide to their lowest pace since 2010 as high mortgage rates are squeezing the market. And we're about a week and a half from Halloween. We'll tell you some of the biggest costume trends. And you guessed it, you've got Barbie and Ken and Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey at least when it comes to adult couples. We're excited for our first Halloween with the little one, Jill. She'll be six weeks in time for Halloween. I think we have a couple costumes planned. And it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. What we are watching, reading, and eating. 
President Biden just back from Israel giving a rare Oval Office address last night. Biden talking directly to the American people, telling them why conflicts around the world are vital for American security as he makes the case for more funding for Israel, Ukraine, and other allies. He is reportedly planning to request more than $100 billion from Congress. $60 billion would be for Ukraine, $14 billion for Israel, $7 billion for the Indo-Pacific region, which includes Taiwan, to help counter China. $14 million would go to manage the U.S.-Mexico border, and $10 billion would be for humanitarian efforts related to those conflicts. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy, completely annihilate it. Hamas' stated purpose for existing is the destruction of the state of Israel and the murder of Jewish people. Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people. Hamas uses Palestinian civilians as human shields, and innocent Palestinian families are suffering greatly because of them. Meanwhile, Putin denies Ukraine has or ever had real statehood. He claims the Soviet Union created Ukraine. And just two weeks ago, he told the world that if the United States and our allies withdraw, and if the United States withdraw, our allies will as well, military support for Ukraine would have, quote, a week left to live, but we're not withdrawing. And Moshe, this is only the second time that he has spoken to the country from behind the Resolute Desk, as it's called. The first was back in June after the debt ceiling crisis was averted. But of course, there is still no Speaker of the House. So at this point, no spending bills can really get through Congress. And we'll have a lot more on that a bit later in the podcast. Yeah, so he's making this request with the hopes that Congress can do this. Uh, The Senate certainly can. The big question will be the House. It does come as Ukraine funding has been stalled in Congress uh, in a most recent vote. The majority of House Republicans opposed Ukraine aid. Now, overwhelmingly, Democrats support it as well as half of Republicans. So it can pass. But to get across the House floor, you need the Republican leadership to put it forth. And with the majority of House Republicans against it, that makes it more challenging. So what's interesting here is he's tying it together with Israel funding, which is much more popular than Ukraine funding at this point, along with, as you mentioned, the Taiwan funding and border money. So what he's trying to do here is build a coalition, a political coalition to get approval. So he's putting it all in one big bucket. So if you don't like this, but you like that, you don't want to be seen as voting against that. That's the idea that a political opponent can say, well, you voted against funding for the border. And somebody will say, no, no, it had Ukraine in it, too. But ultimately, you did vote against funding for the border. So he's trying to effectively wedge them in here uh, to get this through. Keep in mind that for months now, Biden has been looking at another $24 billion uh, for Ukraine that has not been greenlit. And so that would be part of this package as well. Before this crisis in Israel, Biden was already planning a speech to Americans about his foreign policy priorities, re-explaining why keeping up the fight against Putin in Ukraine is so important, why that sets an example to China not to invade Taiwan. Uh, And now you have the Israel crisis as well. And Jill, I should note, it comes as Thursday, the Senate voted unanimously to support Israel. No uh, funding was attached to that, but it was effectively a 97 to zero vote in the U.S. Senate saying they back Israel's right to defend itself. Uh, By the way, the three uh, senators who didn't attend all co-signed onto that resolution previous. So ultimately, it was a unanimous vote from the U.S. Senate. Now to the Middle East, where fighting is no longer confined to Gaza and Israel. On Thursday, a U.S. Navy warship operating in the Middle East, the USS Kearney, 
shot down three land attack missiles as well as several drones that were launched by Iran-backed Houthi forces in Yemen. The Pentagon cannot say for certain at this point what the missiles and drones were targeting, but a spokesperson says that they were launched from Yemen, they were heading north along the Red Sea, and, quote, potentially toward targets in Israel. The Pentagon also saying that the action was a demonstration of the integrated air and missile defense architecture that we built in the Middle East, and we are prepared to utilize whenever necessary to protect our partners and our interests in the region. So the Houthi rebels down in uh, Yemen are among the many terror groups that Iran supports across the region. They've been fighting the civil war there against Saudi forces. It's actually one of the many reasons for tension over the past few years between the Saudis and the Iranians. And it comes as Iran has been trying to show they'll support the cause. They've been certainly doing it rhetorically. uh, But Hamas has been complaining of late, hey, Where's the support you guys are going to show us with this war? We you know, want to make sure there's a multi-front war against the Israelis here. So it's interesting that uh, the Houthis got involved. That was not anticipated. Hezbollah on the northern border in Lebanon, more anticipated. And that's where there continues to be concerns. And there has been some small arms fighting. And that's what we've seen for years. Nothing significant yet at the next level that the Iranians or Hezbollah had promised. Keep in mind, you also have Hamas on the Lebanon side of the border as well. So they've taken responsibility for some of the attacks. Uh, and there have been a couple deaths on each side, including a number of journalists that were killed in an Israeli counterstrike on Lebanon that the Israelis are currently investigating. But not limited to Lebanon, not limited to the Houthis. We also learned about a drone attack on a military base in southern Syria where U.S. troops have maintained a presence to train forces. The U.S. still in Syria fighting ISIS. Officials say that a drone was shot down. Another one, though, caused minor injuries. And there have been some similar strikes against the U.S. and coalition bases in Iraq. Keep in mind the U.S. still in Iraq after all these years. So across the region, we're seeing escalation here. The Iranians are involved in Syria. They do have loyal forces in Iraq. They are involved in Lebanon. They have uh, lent rhetorical support, military support, and money uh, to Hamas here. And so this is what we've been watching. This is one of the reasons Biden went to the region and is giving the speech, is to warn Iran, warn regional actors not to escalate this further. But it does come is there's a lot of anger across the region. And so you do have certain actors taking advantage of that anger. Uh, It does come amid that explosion of the hospital, hospital parking lot, I should note, Jill, that we've been covering for the past couple of days here. Hamas claimed it was an Israeli airstrike that killed hundreds. Um, Israel, the U.S., some independent groups now, also the evidence shows it appears to have been a rocket fired from within Gaza that hit a hospital parking lot. The allegation is that it was an Islamic Jihad rocket. It's another terror group that operates in Gaza. Uh, And Hamas immediately came out and said it was the Israelis, 500 dead. The EU is now saying 50 dead. Americans estimate 100 to 300 dead. Hamas still insists on 500 dead. The Israelis laid out their case and their evidence on Wednesday. Hamas has been promising to release their evidence, proving it was Israel. Uh, They still have not made that case. Okay, now to the latest from Israel and Gaza. Israel, at least as of this recording on Thursday night, has not launched its anticipated ground invasion into Gaza. Israel's defense minister has told ground troops to be ready to invade, although he did not say when. And he has also told them that the battle will be long and intense. Yeah, there's actually a a report from Axios, a very well-sourced report over there, Barak Ravid, in the region who said that Israeli officials actually told Biden, when he asked how long this could take, they said it actually could take years to eliminate Hamas. And that's the first time we've seen that thrown out there. We have heard weeks, we have heard months. First time we've seen years, so that's just something to watch there. 
yeah, at this point, Israel continuing its airstrikes into Gaza, Hamas continuing its barrage of rockets into Israel. Tensions also flaring in the West Bank and along the border with Lebanon, uh, where there is fighting between Hezbollah and Israeli forces, Hezbollah firing rockets into Israel. The humanitarian situation in Gaza continuing to get worse. There are reports that doctors in hospitals are, are actually running out of power and medical supplies, treating patients by using the light from their mobile phones. Although it is expected that as soon as this morning, 20 aid trucks will be able to cross into Gaza through that Rafa crossing on the Gaza-Egypt border. Those trucks are filled with medical supplies, food, and water. Yeah, the Israelis wanted assurances they could inspect those trucks for weapons and that the aid would not be going to Hamas. Diplomats continuing to work out logistics. Roads are being repaired at the crossing so that large trucks that are loaded with that aid will be able to pass through. I also want to mention Prime Minister Rishi Sunak of Britain. He visited Tel Aviv on Thursday, wanting to show his solidarity, but also pushing for that humanitarian aid to, quote, get to ordinary Palestinians in Gaza who are also suffering. Some of them have said that they are like literally down to their last meal. Yeah, uh, nearly a million, nearly half the population of Gaza has had to relocate due to this war now. Huge tent cities have uh, popped up in the southern part of the territory. And a number of international officials from the UN, World Health Organization, etc., begging for more aid to get in. That's why these uh, talks have been such a priority with the Egyptians, the Israelis, to get these trucks across the border. At the same time, Egypt and other Arab countries insist on not taking in any Palestinian refugees. So it appears all of the situation, all of the issues will have to be addressed within Gaza. Uh, as for the aftermath of the attack nearly two weeks ago now, that October 7th terror attack, Israel is still actively working to make sure there are no Hamas terrorists still within Israel. They just reportedly caught a fighter from Hamas trying to return to Gaza, leaving open the possibility that nearly two weeks later, there are still some within the country. It came as, and we posted this report yesterday on the Instagram account, that a number of the dead terrorists were found to be under the influence of Captagon. It is a synthetic amphetamine-type stimulant. They found a bunch of the pills on the bodies of some of the Hamas people who came across this drug is known as, quote, cocaine for the poor, allowing the terrorists to commit heinous acts with a sense of calmness and indifference that's among the effects this amphetamine has. It was actually used several years ago by ISIS fighters. Um, and as ISIS has sort of fallen apart, production and the bringing in of these drugs from Eastern Europe mainly uh, has fallen on Lebanon and Syria. And somehow it got to Hamas. Notably, this is not the first time we've seen this sort of thing. You had ISIS fighters recently, but you can go as far back as the Nazis. The Nazis actually, you know, had major bans on alcohol and drug use, except for methamphetamine, which again, they found brought their soldiers the ability to do horrendous things with a sense of calm. As for the hostages, Israel says that it has been in contact with the families of 203 people that it believes were now kidnapped and taken hostage by Hamas. They had recently said that they thought there were 199 hostages, so that ups the number by four. On Thursday, they said 13-year-old Noya Dan, she's an autistic girl, and her grandmother, 80-year-old Carmela Dan, had been found dead in Gaza. And they were two of five family members that were kidnapped when Hamas attacked Israel. The others are still missing. 
Yeah, just a tragic situation. And given some of the heinous acts that took place within Israel, the, the number of bodies burned, they're having trouble identifying a number of those killed still. So that's what is, is leading to these numbers being in flux still two weeks later. All right, we have plenty of more news to get to, but now we want to just thank some of our sponsors. We have talked a lot on this podcast about how we only want to endorse things that we really love, and Bolin Branch bedding and sheets is definitely one of those things. We have had them for a few months in my house, and we absolutely love them. We're now clearly in the fall, but Bolin Branch definitely made the summer of record heat a bit easier. They have very soft and breathable sheets. Bowl and Branch, that is B-O-L-L and Branch Sheets. They are made with organic cotton. And without some of the harsh chemicals that are used by other brands, the sheets actually get softer with every wash. I can attest to that. Right now, they are offering a special deal to the MoNews community. You can get 20% off your first order when you use the promo code MoNews at BowlandBranch.com. That is Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is MoNews, M-O-N-E-W-S. There are some exclusions, so see the site for details. And we also want to thank another longtime sponsor here at Mo News, AG1. I first tried the Athletic Greens AG1 powder last year when I was having trouble getting all my nutrients. It's just one scoop of the AG1 powder with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, it's quick, and it lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins and minerals. It also includes pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. This is essentially a replacement for all those vitamins out there. You know this is basically one-stop shopping with AG1, and they're offering a special deal to the Mo News community with your first purchase of AG1. Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 when you're on the go. You can visit right now, drinkag1.com. That is drinkag, the number one, dot com slash mo news to take advantage of this offer where you can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it just one time for just one month again that is drinkag1.com slash mo news for this special deal to really start to take ownership of your health time now for the speed read from the washington post the path forward for house republicans on choosing a speaker still uncertain on thursday members emerged from a lengthy heated meeting between Congressman Jim Jordan and several of the Republicans who voted against him. Jordan emerged from that meeting saying that he is still running for speaker. Earlier on Thursday, Jordan, again, the embattled GOP speaker nominee, telling his conference that he would back a plan to temporarily expand the powers of the temporary speaker, Congressman Patrick McHenry, and that Jordan would delay a third ballot for speaker. Jordan later suggested to reporters that the plan will not move forward. He said he would seek a third ballot, although timing is unclear. So it's just a mess over in the U.S. House. You know, they, after booting Kevin McCarthy in an unprecedented way, they uh, nominated Steve Scalise. He could not get the votes. Then they nominated Jim Jordan. He could not get the votes. Then they're like, maybe we should just keep the temporary speaker in for a while, Patrick McHenry, since we can't do a, a permanent speaker. No one has the votes. Well, now they can't even agree to a temporary speaker or extending Patrick McHenry and giving him some actual power. Keep in mind, the temporary speaker position created after 9-11 for continuity of power purposes, but with no actual power here. So they've had these internal meetings. The Republicans have realized there's no path forward right now. They're incredibly, incredibly frustrated. And they're speaking out to a number of the media that's gathered outside these meetings saying, you know, we can't get anything done. Some Republicans saying we don't deserve to be in power, uh, given what's happening. Other Republicans saying, 
it's the Democrats' fault for joining the Republicans who voted against McCarthy leading to this whole mess. But importantly, without a speaker, they can't pass the imminent aid request to Israel-Ukraine border, etc., or deal with, now two weeks away, a government shutdown. So the conference is trying to get its act together. This is the issue they've had with this very slim majority where they need everyone united except for four votes. They can't even get that. And so everyone, as of Thursday night, has their hands up saying, we don't know what we're going to do next. On top of that, Democrats do not want to bail out Republicans right now. Uh, some have said, well, can you one of can a few of you just vote for one of our speaker candidates, uh, get us over the hump and get this house moving again? And Democrats are just sitting there eating popcorn and saying, no, we're enjoying the festivities. And we'd like to remind Americans about all of this next year when we want the majority in the House. Staying with politics from the Associated Press, lawyer Sidney Powell pleaded guilty to reduce charges on Thursday over efforts to overturn Donald Trump's loss in the 2020 election in Georgia, becoming the second defendant in the sprawling case to reach a deal with prosecutors. You might remember her from the fall of 2020. She spun some of the wildest conspiracy theories on TV about ballot fraud as a member of Trump's legal team after he lost the 2020 election. And that includes foreign countries hacking machines and dozens of unprovable claims. Powell was charged alongside Trump and 17 others with violating the state's anti-racketeering law. She entered the plea just a day before jury selection was set to start in her trial. She pleaded guilty to six misdemeanors, accusing her of conspiring to intentionally interfere with the performance of election duties. So as part of this deal, she will get six years probation. She will be fined $6,000 and she will have to write an apology letter to the state of Georgia and its residents. Uh, Can't wait to read that. She also recorded a statement for prosecutors and agreed to testify truthfully against her co-defendants at future trials. Among them, former President Trump. She was in the room for a lot of stuff, Jill. So this guilty plea is a blow to Trump who faces more charges in Georgia than any of the other defendants. He's up there with Rudy Giuliani with more than a dozen charges. Giuliani was also a lawyer for him. Significantly here, Powell is the first of Trump's close advisors from the post-election period to now flip, which could also help the federal election interference charges against him. Remember, he has these state charges in Georgia interfering the election there. And he's got the Jack Smith federal charges, separate trial. We'll see how Powell plays into that. Cracking Trump's inner circle has been a challenge for prosecutors for a while now. Uh, And as I noted, Powell was in the inner circle. She was a frequent visitor to the White House. She was involved in a lot of conversations, decisions, strategizing about how to overturn the election, engage in a number of verbal altercations with advisors who were just like, this is crazy stuff, Mr. President. Do not believe what Sidney is telling you to do. So it'll be notable here that she has now made this agreement to tell the truth, talk about what they were saying inside the Oval Office. She's denied stuff until now. Among other things, by the way, prosecutors say that she participated in an unauthorized breach of elections equipment in rural Georgia as part of this strategy. These were some of the conversations happening in the Oval Office in the fall of 2020 about having you know, the Department of Homeland Security or the FBI take over voting machines to investigate the, her allegations that the Italians or the Venezuelans were in charge in hacking machines on behalf of Joe Biden. So that is where we're at as we watch, you know, just one of those criminal cases that Trump is facing right now. From The Wall Street Journal, the FCC proposed to apply utility like regulations to America's Internet service providers. A policy change expected to raise costs for Comcast, Charter Communications and AT&T, 
who are opposing the change. The proposal adopted by the agency's Democratic majority on Thursday in a three to two party line vote opens another chapter of a long running dispute about how Washington should oversee Internet service. At stake is whether the FCC will expand its power to regulate some of the largest U.S. companies providing a service that has become essential to modern life. Yeah, as far as the Biden White House is concerned, at this point in the year 2023, Internet is as essential as water, electricity, telephone infrastructure, and deserves stricter government oversight. It needs to be treated as a utility that is necessary uh, to live your life in America. Back under the Obama administration, the FCC classified Internet providers as telecommunications utilities. So they imposed things like net neutrality rules that barred a provider like AT&T and Comcast from, say, slowing down Google or slowing down Verizon or slowing down competitors. The Trump administration repealed that decision, saying that utility-style regulation of broadband of the Internet was unnecessarily intrusive. So now you have the Biden team bringing this back, saying we need to be able to categorize high-speed Internet as utility. Um, This is a big deal. We need to modernize the agency's objectives and deal with the reality of 2023. The Internet providers are opposed to this. They call this meddling. Uh, They're expected to vigorously fight the FCC here. They say this is going to cost us more money, these new rules. And so we're going to then pass that on to consumers. Do you want that? So we'll see what happens. Imagine this could go to the Supreme Court there you have a more conservative court, which typically curtails the power or has curtailed the power of federal agencies. So that does not play in Biden's favor here. That plays in the company's favor. And that's the bet that the AT&Ts, the charters, the Verizons are making. So while we tell you about this story today, nothing happens immediately. Look for this debate to continue this year and way into 2024. I miss talking about net neutrality. I feel like that was the big issue when I was (laughs) over at the New York Stock Exchange for CBS uh, Money Watch. I feel like net neutrality was what basically what we talked about all the time. Oh, it was huge. It was uh, 2014, 2015. That, That was one of the biggest stories of the year. From the Wall Street Journal, home sales fell in September to the lowest rate in 13 years, showing the corner of the economy most weakened by high interest rates remains in decline. For all of 2023, sales of previously owned homes are on track to be the lowest since at least 2011 because of increased rates weighing on demand. High rates are also limiting the inventory of homes on the market because homeowners with low rates, well, they don't want to sell and move and then have to pay a higher interest rate. Right. If you locked in that 2.5%, what are you doing with an 8% rate? But the small supply is pushing home prices a whole lot higher in the United States. Existing home sales, which make up most of the housing market, decreased 2% in September to the lowest rate since October of 2010. September sales were down about 15% from the year earlier. Yeah, so the national median existing home price uh, rose in September further. It is now just under $400,000. And that's a record going back a couple decades here. We mentioned the 30-year fixed hit 8% this week, Jill. So there's a, a low supply of houses, not much being constructed, a high interest rate. And so effectively, people are priced out. The story of limited inventory and rising Mortgage rates continues to hinder the home sales market here. Outside of housing, though, the U.S. economy is showing signs of strength. You know, we mentioned yesterday the, you know, uh, ongoing joke about when this recession is going to happen. It hasn't happened in a year and a half. We've been waiting for it. And over the summer, we continued to see consumers spending money. Uh, Jobless claims continue to fall. They're at the lowest level since January, suggesting hiring remains robust. So housing, though, continues to be a major pain point in the economy. And, you know, you and I both know a lot of people struggling with that right now because 
it just, we were all, a lot of people were waiting to get through that kind of COVID pop, being like, all right, in a couple of years, it'll wear off and that'll be the time to buy or sell. And it's just, it's sticky. And unfortunately, anybody who's wondering when might things get a little bit better, when might mortgage rates come down, supply go up, uh, home prices come down, most analysts say not for quite a while. Look at the end of next year. Maybe we'll be back at 6% mortgage rate if we're lucky. But, you know, listen, as we watch all these global events happen, they all sometimes have an impact on, on the economy, et cetera. So it remains to be seen, but nothing in the short term. And from Forbes, from Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, couples costumes to gory decor, the top spending trends for Halloween 2023. Halloween shopping is expected to break spending records, according to the latest projections by the National Retail Federation. We are talking about $12 billion, up from $10 billion last year. So that is actually quite a jump. People are shelling out an average of $108 each. Party City says some of their, quote, big investment decorators, they actually start buying in July. Those are the people who have like serious, serious decorations that other people go and check out. Mm, Love those people. They say after that are the parents who want to plan early to get costumes that their kids actually want. And then the last minute shoppers tend to be the adult party goers. They are the ones who come in just a couple of days before their event. But this I found interesting. More money has been spent on adult costumes than on children's costumes in each of the last six years, according to uh, NRF. I can believe that, Jill. There's a lot of people who take Halloween very, very seriously. In terms of costumes of the most popular costumes for kids, adults, and pets, only two make it into every group's top 10 list, ghosts and witches. But of course, there are those pop culture characters that are in fashion as well. Barbie, Spider-Man, Batman, and Mario are big trends this year. Yeah, some due to you know the movies that have obviously been released. Uh, Little Mermaid, I saw, is trending in a lot of places too. Um, due to that film, Barbie, of course, big this year thanks to that blockbuster film. And I guess you know things move quick. You know, people like to be highly relevant. So in the past four weeks, we've seen the you know popping of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. So I guess that's going to be a thing this year. My husband was actually at a poker game last night, and he said one of the guys was growing like a serious mustache. And then everyone's like, what is up with your mustache? And he's like, it's for a Halloween costume. And they're like, Travis Kelsey? And he's like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) That's commitment, working on a mustache a couple of weeks in advance. It's also Movember coming up next month. So (laughs) maybe he's getting an early start on that as well. So this Forbes piece has a quote from Party City, uh, an official Party City, who says, every single year a trend pops and we have to figure out how to make it happen. We try to give our customers ideas on how they can create those looks with the products that we carry. So while a lot of people will want uh, Barbie costumes this year, the folks at Party City say, you know, you could do your own uh, twist on Barbie, zombie Barbie, weird Barbie. And so... You know, I imagine, Jill, you're going to have a lot of Barbies at your door. What will they be getting? What do they get when they come to your doorstep? What candy do you guys pass out? We usually do whatever is at CVS, you know, so maybe just like the mini M&Ms, the Skittles. My daughter um, used to have a lot of food allergies, so we're very careful about not doing anything with peanuts or nuts. What about red dye number three? (laughs) Will you be passing out any candy with red dye three? Most of the candy has red dye number three. Like if it's a gummy (laughs) type candy, it usually has that. Yeah. I do follow your wife on Instagram. So what candy will the Winunus be giving out? Like organic? We... (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Quinoa balls or something. What's going on? I do know we're very excited to bring the uh, six-week-old out for her first trick-or-treating, or roll her out, I should say. So uh, I'm excited to see what Al has planned as far as costumes. We will see what we'll be passing out. Uh, Jill, one uh, final footnote here on this Forbes story. Apparently, the amount people are paying to dress up their dogs uh, and pets this year continues to increase. According to the National Retail Foundation, for each of the past three years, the total amount people spent to dress up their pets has equaled or exceeded 50% of the amount spent on children's costumes. Wow. So the pet costume market exploded. Jill, since I'm recording this at the WeWork, one of our producers, Emily, who has a dog, is with us. Emily, do you have a costume plan for Blue? Absolutely have a costume plan. We have two. Yeah. Me and my roommate, and blue are dressing up as a triple. We're either going to be doing, he's going to be queen Elizabeth and we're going to be the corgis. Okay. Or blue is going to be Rufus. And then she's, I'm going to be Kim Possible and she's going to be Shigo. So a lot of money. Spent I, on I, I like the irony of the queen Elizabeth thing where the dog is the queen and you guys are the dogs. Exactly. Well done. I used to dress my dog up as a beanie baby. Cause he kind of had that look. He was so cute and little. Jill, do you know what you're dressing up as this year? Normally, nothing. But my husband and I were invited to a, a Halloween party. So I think we might do an Ohio State football player and a Michigan cheerleader. Continuing the a long-standing tradition. Have we mentioned yeah. that we're in Ohio State, this Michigan? This is all football? we have, Moshe. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping, given that you're a constituent of George Santos, that maybe you would incorporate George Santos into your costume this year. The man who is allegedly George Santos. You guys could go as versions of George Santos. <laughs> maybe another couple will do that. Okay, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. Mosh, uh, what are you watching? So we're down to the end here when it comes to Major League Baseball playoffs. So there's some AL and NL championship games this weekend. So uh, I'm going to plug back in uh, to the baseball playoffs. Yourself? So it is a big game for Ohio State, as we were just mentioning. Um, my husband went there. So it is the Ohio State-Penn State game on Saturday, which we will be watching in my house. And I just restarted Sex in the City, the original. Because it's just light and fun. It takes me back to a much simpler time. So I've been watching that before bed so that I could sleep at night. If Jill hasn't mentioned before, she loves nostalgia. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Mosh, what are you reading? So we're actually going to be having her on coming up soon, Farnoosh Tarabi. She has a new book out called Healthy State of Panic, Follow Your Fears to Build Wealth, Crush Your Career, and Win It Life. I'm all about taking my fears and turning them around. And so this is a relatively lighter read compared to some of the topics we cover. Uh, So looking forward to getting into that this weekend. Yourself. (laughs) As usual, we've got like highbrow, lowbrow. So I'm going to be doing Vacation Land by Meg Mitchell Moore. It is a novel. It is the latest pick for my book club. I have not started it, but I just looked online. It is uh, a shimmering summer read set in Maine about family secrets, marriage, motherhood, and privilege. Sounds right up my alley. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And finally, what are you eating this weekend? As you could tell, like my voice is just progressively getting worse. Yeah, sounds like you need some chicken soup. <laughs> a little chicken soup. What about you? Well, my mom is in town visiting uh, the grandchild. Uh, she's in from Texas. She's an amazing chef. So looking forward to uh, what she's cooking up. But in the meantime, Alex found these um, like on-the-go packs. They're called Mama Chia Cherry Squeeze Packs on the go. They look like the ones you give to small kids, like these squeeze juice things. I'm 
having it as an adult, uh, people in the uh, Mono's office were laughing at me. So like, I can't take you seriously as you put a squeeze back in your mouth, Mosh. By the way, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm holding it up for you. But I like it. It's a good little snack. Easy to, easy to be able to drink on the go while also posting on Instagram. Enjoy the time with your mom. Uh, actually, I should mention the chicken soup that I have. It's actually my mom has been bringing it over. She's been making it homemade for me and just bringing it over every night. So much appreciated. Thanks, mom. Moms are the best. All right, we're going to wrap things up. Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And if you like what we're doing here at Mo News, you can join Mo News Premium. It's a way to support what we're doing, support the daily podcast, the daily newsletter, 24-7 Instagram feed. Uh, you can head over to mo.news slash premium today. In addition to knowing you're supporting independent journalism, it also gives you access to a members-only Instagram page where we dive deeper uh, into your questions. And since it's Friday, we have a weekly news quiz over on the Mo News Premium Insta account. Again, that's available over at mo.news slash premium. And so I want to thank everyone if you're already a premium supporter. And if you're not, please consider. All right, everyone, have a great weekend. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.